Thank you so much, Emma. Um, Emma's headed out to, um, to Berkeley, and uh, that's a high calling. I can, I'm telling you, we have other Berkeley grads here, and some good things can happen. That is a great school. You must be a good student, so we can tell that. Well, I just got in. I'm, I'm going to seek some pity here for a minute. Chris and I, our plane was uh, delayed getting back from Chicago, so we got in about midnight uh, last night. I was there for um, trustee meetings at my alma mater at, at Wheaton College. And uh, well, there was another reason we go to Chicago. And I think I have a picture up here. Just, you know, is, do, ah. is it, isn't it hard to believe that those three were born since Chris and I've been here? Little Riley is uh, four. And then Noel uh, is, is two, almost three. And then Brooks, who's always smiling except when he's crying, um, is about 11 months. So it was, uh, it was great. But I went back for trustee meetings, of course. And one of, the things that happen- <laughs> one of the things that happened there is what has happened almost always when I've been in, in the academy. Uh, after a graduation, you often try to figure out what it is that really shaped the lives of your students. And so they did this at Wheaton as, as well. And, and the report comes back that, that students say that their most uh, life-shaping events happen not so much in the classroom or even in the books they read, but in these sort of personal encounters they have with other students or even with faculty members, and usually at the dining hall. Usually at, at, at the dining hall. Now, that's always upsetting. Those of you who are uh, faculty members someplace, it's a little bit upsetting to us when we're teachers to think that eating together seems to shape people's lives. Now, apart from having the classes, there'd be no reason to have the students in the campus, right? On the other side, we've got to own up to this thing that when we eat meals together, I mean, things happen, don't they? Sort of the walls come down, and even if it's a business lunch, you, uh, you have to talk about some personal things. Uh, tell me about your family, just all these things. And, and our lives start being forged together. And relationships go deep, often when we eat together. Have you noticed that? I was talking with my daughter Heather about it, and she said, Don't you know that, Dad? That's why girls don't like to go out with a guy on the first date to go out to dinner with them. Now, is that true? She said, Maybe coffee. Maybe a group thing, but not to dinner because you've got to be there and all that. Well, well, Jesus knew this. I mean, you know, all things were made through him. And frequently, when Jesus called people to follow him, he not only did that, he went over to their houses. He went over to, and he had a meal with them. Today we're going to see that that got him into some big time trouble. Because so often he'd go over and have a meal with people who were not respectable people. And, and that other respectable people would never eat with. And that was, a, that was especially hard because when we eat with a person, uh, we identify ourselves with that person as being either a family member or a friend. It still is true. Uh, it's even more true back then. It was, it was especially hard for him as a Jewish man because there were all of these laws, dietary laws, that seemed so irrelevant to us. But they were there to make sure that the people of Israel associated with the right kind of people and were shaped by other Jewish people because God was having one people that would be identified with one another through whom a Messiah, a Savior would come. And a big part of keeping that people together was they were to eat together. They were to eat together because eating forges our lives together to one another. But it was done 
to keep them together so that the Messiah could be born through them. So when we get to the Gospel of Mark, remember Mark 1.1, 1, 1, Jesus the Messiah has come. That's how he's, how he's identified. This is the beginning of the good news of Jesus the Messiah, or the Christ, the Son of God. So he is the, all those things pointed to his coming. Now he was there, and what is happening is he was eating with a group of people, and not just sort of this group that some people say, well, they might be already to eat with. Everybody agreed. You don't eat with these kinds of people. And it was just creating all sorts of difficulties. So, Jesus is ready to call people to eat around the table with him. And to identify with people. All those things that we talk about. To, to, um, to actually shape the lives of people that he eats with. And he's eating with a bunch of people that most people say, what's he doing eating with them? So here's the reason I started this way is when you come to a text like like Emma read for us, um, you often think that's so irrelevant. Dietary laws. What does that have to say to 21st century Southern California? Well, I'm going to hope we see that it has a whole lot to say to us. And the way that I want to look at it is um, who is it? Number one, who, who really gets to be around the table with Jesus? Who gets to be identified with him? Number two. Who else is around the table? This is where it's really going to hit us. Because, you know, sometimes we're, we also say, why are you doing associating with those people? And then number three, a beautiful thing. How the host, the one who calls us around the table, how he identifies himself. All right, that's what we're going to think about. Number one. Okay, God is preparing a family, and, and, and so often... It's talked about as a table where the family gathers. To, who gets a seat at the table? And the answer that you see in Mark chapter 2, verses 13 and 14 is people who respond to a call from Jesus. People who respond in faith and obedience. And the other part, repentance, turning away from what they've done before. Faith and obedience when Jesus calls. Look again at verse 13. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. There was a large crowd that came to him and he began to teach them. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Some of you know a bit about this. He was probably collecting taxes either on the boats that came in or on the, on the fish that were being caught. And that money was being used. He kept a lot of it for himself. And a lot of it he gave out to the very people keeping the people of Israel, under yoke. And Jesus comes to him and he says, follow me. And Levi got up and followed him. So there we have it. Jesus breaks into our lives and he says, I want to to be a part of your life. Come follow me. And when we hear that call, we say yes and we obey. Turning away from the way we used to run our own lives And giving our lives to him. It's so similar to Mark 1, verses 16 to 20. Do you remember when those four fishermen were out there and Jesus yelled and said, just leave your boats, come repent and follow me? And they did. Similar to that, that's what we happen, find happening here. It made me think about this group of um, physician friends that I had back in the 80s. And and still many of you who are doctors, the same thing so often happens. Uh, We would have a Bible study and then sometimes we would talk about grabbing lunch together. And I knew that sometimes they would say, yeah, let's have lunch together, Pastor. And uh, we'd have a good time being able to talk to one another. 
because they were not on call. But sometimes they said, well, let's go ahead and have coffee or lunch together, but I'm going to be on call. And I knew what would probably happen while we were having lunch. And you know, th- those old pagers, do you remember those? Anybody? Doctors, I'm looking out there. Do, do doctors still have pagers? Th- those pagers would go off and suddenly the, the meal was over. The doctor would take off. See, there's all, all the difference in the world between a doctor that I'd have lunch with who was not on call, who still had control of his or her schedule, and one who was on call, who had voluntarily surrendered control of his or her schedule in life for a higher calling. I mean, if, if you're the patient of that doctor and the call comes, aren't you glad when that doctor responds to the call and comes? It's what a good doctor will do. It's not a great thing for the person you're having lunch with, but it's a great thing for the patient. <laughs> and so as I look at that, the one who is on call, if you think about it that way, is a person who has voluntarily surrendered the control of our own schedules and our own times for a much higher calling. Do you, do you see that? And according to the New Testament, every follower of Jesus is on call to Jesus. It's just the nature of our faith. We've come to a point of saying the way I've been living is not the way I've been made to live. We, we hear this message about Jesus and he says, I have come to heal you. Uh, I've come to give you life, but you must surrender your life to me. Uh, turn away from, from the, what you used to do and simply say, uh, I am not my own. I am bought with a price. I belong to Jesus. And that means we are on call. And we voluntarily surrender our values, our careers, everything to the Jesus who calls us. Everybody around the table with Jesus has heard a call and has obeyed and said yes. Now you need to see that his specific call to us is is very different. Uh, The four fishermen in Mark 1 were able to go back to fishing at times. But Levi, whom he calls here, did not go back to tax collecting. So sometimes when you meet somebody and and they don't quite respond to the call in the same way you do, uh, there's something very personal about what God wants us to do and wants us to be and what he wants to do in our lives. And yet I've been stopping to try to think about what is it, now that I've been a follower of Jesus so long, what is it that I see all over the world among young and old that when you meet somebody who's really around the table... You just know this isn't just a churchgoer. This is a follower of Jesus. Do you know what I mean? The real thing. What do I see happening? And I jotted down a few things. One, and ask yourself this. So you've heard a call from Jesus and, and you're obeying it. And you begin to see that your relationship to Jesus must be the central thing in your life. Not just an add-on. But this is the central thing, the Lord of my life. Number two, very similar. You you begin to want to live in a way that pleases him. So our morals and values change. You see, our priorities change. Because we keep reading this word and we see what is important to him. And we, we begin to long to live in a way that pleases him. Then third, and perhaps more specifically, I find that you begin to pray about daily decisions about what you should do. 
with the outcome of this being that you, you intentionally choose what you think Jesus would have you to do. Everything else becomes a second concern. He becomes the first thing. Everything else is a second thing. If you can see that's true about yourself, you know you're around the table because you're a person on call. Your life begins to be changed. I've used this illustration before, but it's just such a perfect one. Uh, When I first went to college, and I don't know if this is going to happen to you, but when I first went to college, uh, there was a guy on our floor who I don't know what had happened in his family but he hadn't learned good hygiene. So I don't think he ever took a shower. I don't think he ever changed clothes. And so I I told you this years ago. Some of you might remember it. Those of us on the floor decided that we would put all of our money together and buy him sort of a care package and send it anonymously to him (laughs) with soap and, and, and deodorant and all sorts of things like this. So we wrapped it up and we sent it to him. We just were waiting. And, uh, just a few days later, out he comes as we were all kind of gathered there in the lounge. He said, guys, I got this power. I don't know who it's from, but I don't need this stuff. I don't use it. So you can he gave it all right back to us. And then uh, at the at the end of the school year, we saw the same guy never combing his hair, never doing anything uh, down in the main student lounge coming off the elevator. And we hardly recognized him. I mean, he had shaved, he had cleaned up, he'd put on different clothes. What's happened to, I'll call Mike, what's happened to Mike? And then she got off the elevator. (laughs) You see, when you want to please someone, you're willing to make a, a huge change. And in the same way, that's what happens When when we see ourselves as we are without him and we hear this message of God's grace and love and that he came and died on the cross for our forgiveness and we say, I need a rescuer, we we receive him. And so we surrender control of our lives uh, to a higher calling and that higher calling is to please him in all that we do. that's, That's how we get around the table. You see, is that clear? I hope so. Second. All right, so if you and I gather around this table, this family of God, who else is going to be at that table? And here's the scary part. It's uh, other sinners. I was going to put it up here and soften it a little bit, saying who have found mercy or found grace, but I, I want us to be kind of as stark as what you find here. It was shocking when Jesus, that they thought might be the Messiah, went and actually spoke to a tax collector in verses 13 and 14. It was shocking. But the really shocking part happens in verse 15, When Jesus calls this tax collector, Levi, also Matthew, into his innermost band and then goes over to his house to have a meal with Levi and his friends. Verse 15, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house. Now, again, number one, um, the problem was twofold. But number one, uh, sharing a meal had these serious implications for Jewish people. I'll just underscore it again, that when you eat a meal with somebody, you identify that person, and especially back then, as a family member or a very, very close friend. Uh, They believed also that when you ate with a person, it's not just that you identified with that person, but, but that that person shapes your life. And I think that that's still true, don't you think? And as as I mentioned before, God had given very strict dietary laws 
about who they should eat with and who they should not eat with. And so for the Jewish people, especially the Pharisees, it was so important to keep those laws. So remember that. And then number two, Jesus went and ate with the wrong kind of people. The most unimaginable kind of people. I don't know if you noticed this scripture was being read. Three times, it goes back and forth. Who are these people? These, they are tax collectors and sinners. And then the next time, they are sinners and tax collectors. And if you missed it a third time, flipping it around, they are tax collectors and sinners. You know what they thought about these people. Now, I've got to say this. Everybody, when they hear about tax collectors, we always think of what? Internal revenue service workers. I've never, I don't know about Lake, but I've never been in a church that didn't have IRS people. So I want to say something very clearly. You with me? Tax collectors in the first century are not like IRS agents in our world. What are they more like? The closest thing I could think about would be like drug dealers or gang leaders in our urban communities. People who use their position or their, their wealth or their might uh, to perpetuate a system. And, and to, to lock people in so that the future can never be different. I, I worked when I lived in Chicago. Um, I would go down to projects, down to Cabrini Green. I'll tell you what I loved. I, I met moms who wanted a different future for their kids. They wanted a different future for their kids. But they would often warn me. They would say, uh, we have these guys out here. Some of them live in the projects with us. Some of them come in. And their whole goal in life is to draw our kids into drugs and gangs and even bring them into being future drug dealers. See, they were there to offer so much, but only to perpetuate something that kept people in bondage and to give them no future. That's what was happening here. The tax collector took so much of the money for himself and used the rest of it to keep his people under the, uh, under the yoke of another government. So I'll tell you, For Jesus to go over to the home of a tax collector was a scandal. I mean, he was just flaunting all of their most cherished standards. I mean, do you see why Jesus always came into conflict with with the uh, with the authorities? Because people like the Pharisees rightly had remembered the old wineskin, the way why God had given these laws to keep their people from being contaminated by the world. It's kind of like in our day. Whenever a person's sick, we want, you don't want to stay, get too close to them because we might be contaminated physically and pick up all the germs, right? Well, they felt that there are moral and spiritual germs. So if you get too close to these people, you'll pick it up. They understood something I think we need to understand so, so much more than we do. They understood how our lives are shaped by those that we are with. Don't you think in our American society we're so individualistic? That we fail to understand the power of community to shape character. The people we spend time with, I mean, they knew this. The power of community to shape our character. And the importance that meals have in the shaping of our characters in relationships. The, the barriers come down. We identify ourselves with people. So for centuries... They have been very, very scrupulous about keeping these dietary laws. And so here Jesus is just absolutely ignoring them. I wonder how many of us would be angry. And they would say, Jesus can't be Messiah. He can't be a prophet. 
He eats with sinners. He's unclean because he's with them. And to that, one of the most powerful verses in the entire New Testament comes. Jesus says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Verse 17. And I have come not to call the righteous. I have come to call sinners. Doesn't that verse sound wonderful to you? But, okay, let's, let's stop again to see. I mean, the words of Jesus are wonderful, but they always have a stinger in the tail. Okay, you go to a doctor, and you have some sort of malignancy in your body. Uh, if that doctor is just, you know, wanting you to feel good, the doctor might say, well, you know, everybody has that sort of thing. You know, you should just smile more. Just go out and live the way you've been living. And what would happen? You don't have to yell it out. But you know what would happen. The malignancy would grow. A good doctor, when you diagnose a problem, is going to have to go in and make changes, right? Like surgically cut out the malignancy. Call you to eat differently or to exercise differently, right? The good doctor calls for change. And so Jesus says, I have come to heal your life, but you can't keep living the way that you once did. We've got to be on call. We've got to be on call. He's got to be the one that we give our lives to. So Jesus goes and he breaks into into Levi's life and the others. But instead of Jesus being contaminated, the reverse happens. The sinless son of God makes it possible for this contaminated person, this sinner, to be declared right with God and to become healthy. And has that happened to you? See, the reality was it wasn't just Levi and his friends who needed a rescuer. The Pharisees did too, that they would have known it. And so what it says to me is that everybody around the table has come to a point where we no longer try to pretend that the, the sin is all out there. But we see it right here and we own it. And we say, oh, I too need a physician. I won't try to pretend that I'm better than. I needed the rescue of Jesus as much as anybody else. I put it because the table around which we sit is a table of God's mercy and grace. Everybody around the table has acknowledged that we need a physician. Some of the people would know not to it. They needed it as much as Levi. Those around the table always know we're there by God's grace. That, that means that when you and I, let, let's try to think about church today as a table of God's family. We're kind of sitting in a funny way, but like da Vinci's, uh, you know, picture. Of the, of the, we're sitting looking one direction. But just think of us as a family. The reality is everybody here who is truly around the table of God has already owned, I desperately needed mercy. I don't have any right being here. But, but this is a table of grace and mercy. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> And it make, turns us into an incredibly welcoming place. I, I, I told you this story too, but one of my f- favorite churches growing up as a child, I went back to visit it before I came here to Lake. And the church had had a split. And it had a split because they built a gymnasium. Do any of you remember me talking about this? And the reason was a certain group said, this will help us to reach the kids in the neighborhood. But others had said, oh man, you put up a gym, it brings in the wrong kind of people. These kids off the street, these people who don't, don't mess up our gym. And you remember my thought was, 
who are the wrong kinds of people? Was Levi? They were the wrong kinds of people that are brought in by Jesus. Were the Pharisees? The table of grace is made up all, all the people there are the wrong kind of people who've owned up to it and found mercy from Jesus. Any amens? I've I, I wanted to come up with a t-shirt that says Lake Avenue Church, a place for the wrong kind of people. Would you wear it? Would you? We're just all the wrong kind of people who are being made right by being in contact with Jesus and his people. Which is another thing I just wanted to say. What he does is, it's so amazing. He brings us around the table. He declares us right. And then, it's almost like the working of sin goes in reverse. Before things have been taking more and more of our lives, he declares, he begins reversing it and beginning to, begins to make us healthier and wholer and cleaner and cleaner. It's a process until we become like Jesus. Around the table again, we become shaped by him. He's the one in control. We become shaped by him. And, and as he's making us, he sends us out. Uh, the phrase that I've been using more and more as I've read Mark is, what we are is we are disciples being made, sent to make disciples. To tell people, I've found a life in Jesus. To show the compassion of Jesus. But always to call them to faith in Jesus. And then to sit around the table and do life together. Last point. After knowing that we can invite whosoever will. Whosoever will. Any person when you leave, you can invite them around the table of grace, right? What Jesus did on the cross is sufficient for whatever any of us has done. Except this cross. That's what that cross is about. Now... I want us to do one thought about the one who's inviting us around the table. And I've called him one who takes an oath of love to us. Verses 18 to 22 takes up another part of the dietary laws, the fasting part, where people would set aside time to mourn of their sins and to long for Messiah to come. And uh, we're still to have, take time to do that, where we set aside the time we would be with people and instead of doing that, spend time with God. But while the one to whom those laws pointed was there, it wasn't the time to fast and mourn. That's what Jesus essentially says in verses 18 to 22. All those things pointed to the coming of the Messiah. Now that I am here. Now the way to come into the family is through faith in me. And while I'm here, it's time to celebrate and to eat. <laughs> And when he comes back again, it's amazing, too. It's also pictured as a mealtime, the marriage supper of the lamb. So, yes, there will be eating in heaven. Anybody happy about that? I think we're going to have some great chefs. I don't know if there'll be a food channel, but it's going to be great. It's going to be great food. But that's the main point. And he said, while in the, before I came, the old wineskin was preserving a people, so those laws were important. But now there's a new wineskin, a new way to come into the people of God. It's through faith in me. So that old wineskin just doesn't... That's what he says here. But the point I want you to see is how Jesus describes himself. Some places in the Bible, Jesus is described as a shepherd to the sheep. And that's beautiful, isn't it? He, he cares for us and leads us. Sometimes he's pictured as a cornerstone or capstone to a building holding us together. 
That's strong and beautiful, too. But I love the way he puts it here. It's of a bridegroom to a bride. Um, in, in, America, in, in human relationships, the most intimate and the most permanent relationship. I will be a groom. You will be the bride. I, I just want you to know that the one who invites you around the table makes an eternal commitment to you and me. It is a deep commitment of love. To love you with an everlasting love. To deal with everything that keeps you from God. To say, I know where you keep messing up, but my vow to you is not going to be broken. Bridegroom to a bride. Uh, Loved with everlasting love. You know the old hymn? Led by grace. That love to know. Spirit breathing from above. You have taught me. This, This is so. Oh, this full and perfect peace, this transport. Do you know this hymn? So divine. With a love that cannot cease. I am his and he is mine. That's what Jesus is declaring here. All right, so we've been talking about dietary laws. I thought, what on earth am I going to say to a group of Southern Californians about dietary laws? Some people would say, if you give us a good new diet, Pastor Waybright, we like those in Southern California. You know, can, can it be an all chocolate diet or <laughs> dietary laws? So the question is, what is the take home from this message? What should be different in our lives because we've come here? I'll ask you to think about that first. Do you see anything in this text that speaks to you? I often feel like you might see things that I could never identify or find. Ask the Lord to show you, but there are a couple of things that maybe I can help jog your thinking. Are are you living a life on call to Jesus? Is your deepest desire to know him and to please him? Or has it sort of just become a religion where where we come and hope we can get him to give us what we want? Do you feel like you're Have you been willing to surrender every part of your life for a higher calling? Here again, that his ways are different from ours and they're higher than ours, always better than ours. Because sometimes I find that his call is something I would never have chosen. Have you noticed that some of the most deeply, deeply spiritual people you've ever met, people really walking with God, have gone through the hardest times, have lost spouses or kids, have even had times of public moral falls, and yet, instead of them becoming embittered, have said, my life is yours. I'm going to trust you and walk with you. Have you noticed that? There are people on call. Trusting Jesus. The second thing I just wondered. Do you do like Jesus did and sometimes invite and welcome people like Levi into your life? Or do you still somehow think that there might be a lot of the wrong kind of people too far from God's grace to want to eat with them? 
Now, now remember, when Jesus ate with people, he didn't do what they did. He didn't sin with them, right? He went in and, and, and lived the life that they should have lived. They saw it and they longed for it. I've even thought about our church. The third thing, I thought maybe it's saying this to us. I just, do we need to eat more meals together? Maybe there should be some times that we set aside just to say, well, I'm going to look for somebody and invite them out to lunch after church today. And then you find out when you just sit around the table together, a relationship deepens. And, and we're able to shape one another. So... I guess I want us to be a church that eats more often. <laughs> Maybe with, with people we wouldn't have normally thought that we would. But we, we, we even here that we know that we've got to do life together. And then the last point, I just really always want to throw this out. Are, are you secure in the love of Jesus for you? Do you hear him say to you, I know where you keep falling short. Um... But I have made an oath to you. And I'm ready to go and begin reshaping your life again. Are you secure in what I call the unrelenting, intimate, unending love of the one who says, I have come to heal your life. And I will not let you go until the work is done.